You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. For this episode, we'll be talking about Thin Lizzy, Live and Dangerous. On the line, I got Rob. Sup? Ben. Yes. And Kyle. Oi. Live and Dangerous is the live double album by the Irish rock band Thin Lizzy, released in June of 1978. It was recorded in London 1976 in Philadelphia and Toronto in 1977 with further production in Paris. Uh, the producer was Thin Lizzy and Tony Visconti, and the genre is hard rock, blues rock, and I'm going to read from the book, Tim Jones. In June of 1978, Thin Lizzy pulled out all the stops with one of music's greatest live albums. Its airbrush quality caused critical murmurs. Manager Chris O'Donnell claimed the recording was 75% live with overdubs correcting Phil Lyatt's uh, overdriven bass and backing vocals with guitarist Scott Gorham and Brian Robertson. Producer Tony Visconti told BBC Radio 1, We erased everything except the drums. Even the audience was done again in a very devious way. Southbound was recorded at a sound check, and I added a tape loop of the audience. Fans were not bothered. The result was magical, and uh, Vertigo's fears for a full price Double album were unfounded. It shipped 600,000 in the UK, nominally recorded in London and Toronto. It is really a best of full throttled melodic rockers boast some of rock's most memorable riffs and choruses tempered by moments of poignancy. The opening barrage hurdles from jailbreak through the fiery emerald sing along southbound and uh, Rosaline to the delightful dancing in the moonlight. Still in Love With You has lighter swing. Cowboy Song is a fantastic cascade romp. And Suicide, a glorious story song. Then there are the anthems, The Boys Are Back in Town, and The Rocker. As NME marveled, it's a near-perfect statement of intent by the best hard rock band in the world. All right, what do we think of Thin Lizzy, Live and Dangerous? Your favorite band is not as good as Thin Lizzy. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. Then Lizzie fucking rips. Yeah. And yeah, I, I read that this album was anywhere from 25 to 75% overdubbed, whether you listen to the band or whether you listen to uh, Tony Visconti. And I'm not bothered at all. <laughs> it plays really well. 
yeah, this record shreds. Uh, it kind of reminded me of, I think, Kiss Alive, the first one. Did you guys talk about that? Uh, well, no, I, I don't think that, we did. No, we did not cover Kiss Alive, but it is the same producer, Tony Visconti. But uh, this record shreds. I ran out of stars for this one. <laughs> <laughs> My introduction to Thin Lizzy when I was in school was uh, their greatest hits album, Dedication. Uh, wore that CD out, and you know there, there there's there's definitely some gaps in the Venn diagram, but Live and Dangerous is it's it's like it's just greatest hits live. It's like almost every Thin Lizzy song that you're looking for, with a few exceptions, just live versions of them. And they are such a good live band. And like Jailbreak rocks on the studio album. Jailbreak Live is faster and harder and and hits and just hits better. Like these live versions of these songs, probably thanks in part to some of the magic that Visconti was doing to to clean them up. They didn't lose any of the energy from from a live Thin Lizzy performance. And oh man, if I had one critique, it's that you know side four starts to get long. By the time like after they've already played, the boys are back in town and don't believe a word, and there's still six songs to go. That's that's my that, that, that's my critique. It's like the, just the the end, the last twenty five percent of the album just seems to stretch a little bit. Yeah. Ah, uh, but then you don't get the uh, the drum solo on Shalala though. I don't need many drum solos, including that one. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mind um, it, but you <laughs> you are right. I think it does have just a little bit of length. Um, I mean, not being at the show. Obviously, if you're at the show, mm-hmm. no problem. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's gonna be an amazing show. But you're right. I mean, this this album rips. It's so good. And the dueling guitars, the guitarmonies that are going on with Thin Lizzy. I had no idea um, that Thin Lizzy basically made that popular, that style popular with dueling guitars. Mm-hmm. I always oh, had, Yeah, I had as- associated with other bands, you know, like Iron Maiden and uh, Slade and some other like bands that would do that. But I had no idea it was like Thin Lizzy. And they kind of messed up, they uh, sort of messed up by doing the dual guitars on a song, like when they're in the recording studio. And then that just became their thing. Now, were were they doing it before Reeling in the Years? Uh, Because that was on Can't Buy a Thrill. So that was a minute ago. But Thin Lizzy was active. This is, well, they've had had a lot of albums at this point. Absolutely. Yeah, and I was surprised that we hadn't got to Thin Lizzy until 78, but it makes sense with this being, you know, live album. It has all the hits. I'm surprised we didn't do Jailbreak. I am too. You know, like there's, there's a, this is like the year after Jailbreak, so there's a lot of overlap of, you know, the songs that were currently in their live repertoire. So I don't feel that bad about it. But as good as this is, I still think that Jailbreak's a very important rock and roll record. Yeah. Agree. I won't. I won't uh, argue with having more than Lizzie on in this book. Right. But yeah, as Rob said before, if there's going to be one, I understand why they 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 picked the a sort of if they can't do best greatest hits, then this this album makes sense. Might as well do greatest hits live. I was going to make the joke about I wish I I don't know why they left reeling in the years off this, <laughs> but then you, you took that away from me. So 
I'm I'm sorry, Rob. <laughs> oh, okay, I, that that was my favorite Thin Lizzy song until I found out it wasn't Thin Lizzy. <laughs> I saw that that conversation online just earlier this week too. I, I know it's. Yeah. I'm not the only one. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. Th- this is actually my first time listening through the entirety of this record. Um, it's really good. <laughs> um, to to the point where I don't know if you can read my uh my scrawl here, but it just says uh. There's not a bad song on it, and that's the only thing that I wrote down for this record. Because what the fuck else are you gonna like? I, there's nothing to critique. Like this is this is a a band in their prime, like just burning down the fucking building, like while they're playing. Like, and the fact you know the I I find it even more impressive that going back in and making this sound like a live record. <laughs> My two cents. Do you guys like that uh, Bob Seger cover? I never knew Rosalie was a Bob Seger song. I always knew it as a Thin Lizzy no song. But it, it went, one, once I heard him announce that from the stage and I'm listening to it, now I can't unhear it. It sounds absolutely like a Bob Seger song because it is. Yeah. Y- you you know? know? Yeah, I guess they toured together. Yeah, 75. They toured with BOC and uh, Bob Seger. Man, oh, I would have loved to see Thin Lizzy and Bob Seger in 75. Rosalie's a great song. I love how they go into uh, like the riff in a cowboy song near the end. And my first listen, I was thinking, because I love cowboy song. My first listen, I was thinking like, man, I hope that that's not all they do for cowboy song, like part of a medley. You know, I hope they give that song what it's due. I need not have been worried. Yeah. They, they play cowboy song and it's full. The last note of cowboy song is the first note of the boys are back in town, which I, now that I've heard it that way, I don't know why they do it any differently on on the studio album that both of those songs are on. Like it, it, it segues perfect. You know, Cowboy songs about being on the road. Then the boys are back in town. They, the, the notes the same, it's in the same key. So cool. One other thing about cowboy song. Uh, we recently covered uh, the only ones uh, with the with the song uh, "Another Girl, Another Planet," and I mentioned it during that episode. But now it's this episode. Cowboy song and "Another Girl, Another Planet" are really just different treatments of the same idea musically. It's the same chord progression and almost the same melody. You can sing one of them over the other, but the band the treatments of the bands is so different that you know it's not it's not really blaring. Both of bands have such a distinct personality. And they're both written by heroin addicts. So there you <laughs> and go. they're both written by heroin addicts. <laughs> Any of you guys ever listened to the uh, the War of the World 70s uh, album where Phil Lynette's doing the stuff on it? Yeah. I think with you, Rob. Yeah, yeah good. It's really yeah. good. That is really good. Yep. It's also hard to find. I don't, I, yeah, I have my copy. With the booklet. Ooh. Ooh. Did it, was anybody uh, 
surprise. I I don't know what to make of this sort of, I don't know if it's scandal or murmurs or whatever of people being like, oh, it's not live album, but it's a live album. And then, uh, you know, they were they were saying that we're a loud band. How are you going to get my guitar out of the drum kit? You know, if it's if it's only the drum kit, like, how are you going to remove this? So I think I mean, I think that's a bit of a cop out answer. Like the who recorded live, you know, uh, like live at Leeds is live. No, no, but he's saying that that it, it is live because there's no way that you couldn't, you wouldn't be able to hear his other guitar in the, you know, the drum mics would pick pick it up. Of the voices in the room, I would err on the side of the relatively sober and trustworthy producer Visconti. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> One hundred percent, I wouldn't believe that man over anybody else. <laughs> Especially since you know, like, like it, it, I, I didn't realize he also did Kiss Alive, and I know how much sugar is added to that album. And if that's if that's his thing, you know, and he does it, if he did, if he did this and Kiss Alive, Visconti does the uh, the embellished live album better than anyone. As I'm the first to give shit to Kiss about how much was added to their so-called live album, but it's also my favorite Kiss album. It, it's like, and maybe it might be the case for this one too. There's the sound that a microphone picks up at a live concert, but it doesn't necessarily translate what it feels to be there. So what the band and Visconti are doing are trying to sugar it enough that even if it's not a, an honest document of what of the evening, it makes you feel like you were there at the show. And I think Visconti is very good at doing That's that. That's a very good point. Uh, even going back yeah. to some of the earlier live albums where we we're talking about the MC5 album, it it's so rough. And even though you can tell, well, it's a live band, it's a live group, it doesn't, you're right, it doesn't have the impact of actually being in the audience and having that live experience. Whereas this feels like you are directly in the middle of the show, you know, maybe 20 feet back and hearing everything per pitch perfect. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. That's that's a really good way of thinking about uh, live albums that I hadn't really uh, considered before. And Visconti yeah. actually, uh, he produced Bowie's live album stage the same year. Did he? Yeah. He had, he had two under his belts in 78. The only reason this was a live album was because he didn't have time to do a studio album with him. His, his, ca his calendar was that booked in 78 because he had done, he did bad reputation with them, which was their last studio album. And it was commercially successful for them and everyone involved enjoyed the project. So they wanted to get him back. And he's like, I've got two weeks. Basically that's enough time to like mix down a live album. And they're like, Oh, we, uh, for, we've got like, we recorded three shows from our last tour. Let's, let's do it. And that's kind of how the wheel got rolling on this one. Huh? It's, it's interesting because like, um, doing this record and the kiss record and Rob, you said the Bowie record a little extra scrutiny on it because and we talked about them touring with uh oh i was gonna say because uh the band uh electric light orchestra at the time was coming under scrutiny because they were putting on these elaborate live shows and people 
is that all the people dancing around and leaping in the air with these stringed instruments were not actually <laughs> playing their instruments live. So I, I think going on where people were like, oh, we want authenticity in our live shows. But also this, this technology is pretty new for manipulating live shows track by track past 10 years. Yeah. I mean, if we're looking at, you know, 78. Yeah, I can't imagine that Frampton Comes Alive album isn't doesn't have some uh, studio magic on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure it's very good. I'm I'm not trying to discount that album, but I I can't imagine it doesn't have a bit of polish and it isn't the selected tracks from, you know, uh, the best tracks and everything. For me, it, it doesn't necessarily take away from how I feel about this album, but when the when you do find the live live album, I can't think of an example off the top of my head that is just like the the recorded document of that show and it sounds awesome. Like those albums are all the cooler. Yeah. Like to to, to really just like capture that. Oh, yeah. Night. But uh, I but I like this too. Yeah, that <laughs> Sam Cooke live in Harlem Square. That is like yeah. you you can tell the flubs. I mean, there's some flubs in it, but it's a very good uh, being a feeling of being there in the audience. And it's it, there's no way you could uh, replicate it because it was one night, and there's no other. Uh, I don't think anything's taken from any other nights. And in '62, there just wasn't really even the. Like Kyle was saying, the technology. Yeah, to punch in. Yeah, yeah. We we are getting live at Budokan, right? Yeah, yeah. I did. see We that. should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good. I don't know how many shows they played in Budokan to cobble that together, but uh, at least a handful. I know on the on like the deluxe release, uh, there's. I think there's at least like a Friday night and a Saturday night complete show bonus bonus features on it. Yeah. They uh, listen. It says Visconti listened to over thirty hours of archival uh, recordings to look for the best performances to release. Man, we're listening to uh, right now "Massacre." Man, yeah, oh, we are. this song just rips. This whole album. Is what do you What do you guys think about the song "Suicide"? It's great. Did you look at the inspiration for that song? Based on an episode of Perry Mason called "The Case of the Lover's Leap." Oh. Just based on like it's based on an episode of Perry Mason. <laughs> they were just like one time they were like, oh, like somebody fakes her suicide. And I was gonna say, funny things happen in bands when you <laughs> when you're bored and stoned at two in the morning, and you're like, let's write a song about this. <laughs> you gotta make your own fun in the seventies. So Huey Lewis is popping up again. Yeah, see on this. Uh, yep. Yeah, album? he 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 gets a, he gets a shout out even uh, on track sixteen. Baby D- drives me crazy. Uh, he he plays the the featured harmonica on that song, and uh, Phil calls him out from the stage like, "On harmonica, Huey Lewis." <laughs> oh shit! Awesome. Yeah. So I knew um, I I knew he had been fucking around with these guys like, but yeah, that, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know the. Uh, I, I think he's harmonica on a, on a couple of their studio albums too. Yeah. 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 I, ha- I hadn't realized how much um, of the band kind of uh, changed in and out over the years. I kind of, I don't know why, but I just uh, sort of assumed that they, they had a pretty much a, a standard lineup, but um, 
Yeah, it wasn't the case. I thought so too. It's it's Phil and the drummer are are the constant members. The the guitarists uh swapped out a few times, including a time when they were just a three piece. They were three piece and Scott Gorham because Brian Robertson had quit the year before, but then he came back to the band, so he's on this album. So yeah, they they, they and then I think after this leaves for good and he's replaced by someone who was a previous guitarist so like they, they their, their guitars are leaving coming back yeah. and i think that's a, a lot know? of people acknowledge this is the probably the best iteration of thin lizzie and that's why it's this live album is so highly you know this is the j- the jailbreak iteration this is, yeah exactly this is the sort of pinnacle of of sort of thin lizzie's uh, uh, formation, and that's why this this album's so good. It's so good. It's so good. It is. <laughs> I can't even ex- express. Dude, I love this extended version of "Still in Love with You." What yeah. What I miss though? Are, are you guys familiar with the studio version of this song? Can't say as I am. I don't. It's on dedication. The best of. I don't know who's singing. There's a there's a second vocalist and Phil and one of the other guys trade off the first few verses and then they do a verse in harmony, and it's it's really cool to to like the the guy's got a, a decent voice like a soulful voice. I don't know which other member of Thin Lizzy it was. Maybe it's someone who's no longer in the band anymore. But uh, but I was kind of missing that in, in the live version. I love the song, but I love that thing where they trade off verses and then then do the harmony. I, I wanted to hear their version of Whiskey in the Jar. Also missing, notably missing Oof. from from this album. To, to keep it from being a true greatest hits live. I didn't even think about that. That's how good, I guess that's how good this album is, is I didn't even think about how that song was missing. I'd swap out Sha La La on side four for Whiskey in a Jar, and then, then I wouldn't notice, I don't think, how long side four is, and then you also would take care of that pesky little drum solo. I really like that drum solo. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's fine. It's good. I also, I have a, so I, uh, as Rob and a few of you know, I came into a, a treasure trove of records in the past week from a yard sale in my neighborhood that I wasn't expecting to be a treasure trove. And I got a whole bunch of cool records, a lot of ones that we had covered, and include in, in, included in this uh, treasure trove was they, they had a lot of yes, and I picked up a handful of yes records, close to the edge, fragile, uh, and I picked up yes songs, their three disc live album with the classic lineup. So I was listening to that, and I swear, like side three is just a drum solo, <laughs> and. <laughs> What a waste of wax, man. The so first time that, I ever that was weighing oh, heavily oh. on me when, when I got into the drum solo here. So maybe I came into it with a bad attitude there. The first time I ever saw a drum solo was uh, we went to see uh, Dio, Deep Purple, and the Scorpions. Yeah. Band had a drum solo. It, <laughs> Every band had a drum solo? Every band. <laughs> So I had never seen a drum solo like for real, unironically in my life, and every band did one. <laughs> Indianapolis. <laughs> oh, and they then they did rock us like a hurricane, Kyle. Yeah, they can't rock an in indie like a hurricane. Yeah, in the middle of a rainstorm. Oh wow! Was that 
Was that the best birthday you ever had, Rob? Uh, yeah. After that birthday, uh, oh yeah, that was the that was the nail in the coffin for uh for a lady I was dating. Uh, <laughs> she cheated on me and then broke up with me, and then I lived in Bloomington alone, <laughs> and I drank too much, and then I met all of you guys except for Kyle, who I already knew. Hey, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> This album Guys, sold 600,000 copies and stayed on the charts for 62 weeks. Wow. Yep. Never Crazy. broke number one. It was number two. Was there some just stupid, popular fucking James Cameron Titanic of an album? It was Grease, the soundtrack. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have you ever listened to uh, Thunder and Lightning? Yeah, dude. Where they go, where they go <laughs> <Yeah>. metal? <laughs> it's good. It's a good one. Yeah, at least I, yeah, like eighty three, maybe. I could be wrong. Yeah, it's yeah. eighty three. Oh, I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, yeah. Just imagine then Lizzie getting more uh, Iron Maiden, veering more into Iron Maiden territory. What's it called? Thunder and Fury. Thunder and Lightning. Very very frightening, man. R.I.P. Phil. I, I I wish I could have been able to see this band live, but I was I was but a lad. I wish there was. I, I've seen a few like put together for the occasion Thin Lizzy tributes, like that one in Bloomington, uh, Dino's Bar and Grill when we were Devo. R.I.P. Hodges. Yeah, R.I.P. Hodges. But yeah. I, I'm surprised there isn't like a dedicated Thin Lizzy tribute playing the greatest hits on the bar circuit you know like i would buy beer to that yes yeah. and they just played this album yeah that's all you need and, and then, add and whiskey then, in a jar <laughs> and then uh, yeah encore <laughs> all right let's do it yeah start it up uh i don't think i need to go around for uh our takes on this if Nah, if man. you guys aren't on the positive, I don't know if we're still friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thin, Thin Lizzy is incredibly crucial listening. And I think that Live and Dangerous, if you're not that familiar with the band, Live and Dangerous is a pretty good entry point. It is. It, it's greatest hits. Live and Dangerous, Jailbreak. If you like what you listen, if what you're hearing, they've got plenty of albums and they're such a good band and they're better than your favorite band. Who wouldn't like Thin Lizzy? Squares. Yeah. yeah. A lot of squares out there, Kyle. As we've seen, I think even dads like Thin Lizzy. Oh, Lizzie, dads though. love Thin Lizzy. I think <laughs> even if you even if even your dad dads. even if your dad doesn't know he likes Thin Lizzy, sing the the opening line to "The Boys Are Back in Town" to him, and he'll finish the song for you. Yeah, <laughs> be like, "Hey, Guess dad, you, uh, just I you do, just got hey. back today." <laughs> uh, that song is actually very hard to sing. I sing it sometimes at karaoke, and it's it um 
it's, it's tricky. It's it's tricky, but it's fun because the thing that makes it tricky is Phil. Lin, uh, is it Linet or Lanot or wh- how do you pronounce Phil's last name? I think it's Lanot, but I've already always pronounced it Linet because I'm a an idiot. Yeah. So a cool thing about Phil's vocal delivery, which I I think goes back. Uh, you know, he's Irish and I think you can kind of trace it back a bit to like Irish folk styles. His phrasing of his lyrics doesn't always match up with the phrasing of the music. It's like his lyrics are fluid. You know, uh, Bruce Springsteen does a similar thing in songs like, uh, like Thunder Road. The band is straightforward four, four rock and roll, but the lyrics, sometimes they go over their amount of time. Sometimes they start early. Sometimes, you know, it's just like, not stream of consciousness, but just like a very uh, fluid uh, cadence. And that's what makes singing Boys Are Back in Town tricky. But also, if you're pretty familiar with the song, that's what makes it fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like you're telling yeah. a story as you're as you're singing. I do have to tell a joke. I don't remember where it came from. Uh, some comedian, I think I saw, uh, always, it always stuck with me when I hear j- Jailbreak because the lyrics to jailbreak are there's going to be a, a jailbreak somewhere in this town. And it's like the comedian says, of course we know where it's going to be. Uh, it'll be at the jail. Dude, Birch, <laughs> I think that might be a Ben Bustle original. I think, Is I, it? I, I think oh, yes. my <laughs> that's amazing. I should just have you tell it then. <laughs> well, that's the joke. <laughs> If I had, if I'm not a betting man, but my money's on the jail. How many jails are in their town where they need to be more specific to tell people where the jailbreak is happening? Ooh, but we're listening to Cowboy Song now, which is a, just a treat. Uh, can we do a mashup? Can someone please make a thin Lizzo? I'd like to hear. Ooh. Okay, so on the topic of mashups, I absolutely I want to hear Thin Lizzo uh, because the name, and I want to hear Dancing in the Moonlight and Moon Dance. Like, uh, in 1972, they also were all on a high-profile tour with Slade. Ooh, ooh! And Screw the Bob Seger show. Uh-huh. I want to see the Slade show. I want to see Lizzie and Slade. Oh man! It just, just, it put me in a time machine. Take me to that show, and then just go ahead and put me down. <laughs> uh, all right. Next time we'll be talking about Talking Heads. More songs about buildings and food. Thanks, y'all. Tonight after sundown.